0: <laughs> and laughs Theater of the Mind The best love programs from radio's golden age Only on Zoomer Radio Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor
1: Well, thank you, and welcome to the show uh, Feel the hairs on the back of your neck going up? <laughs> oh, you will Get set for some eerie moments as we stroll to the darker side, in fact, to Dark Fantasy and the episode, Delicate Case of Murder. Dark Fantasy was a horror-suspense-thriller old-time radio program that consisted of 31 short episodes that aired from November 21st of 1941 until June 19th, 1942, broadcasting from station WKY in Oklahoma City. Though the anthology burial made a year of airtime, it managed to capture a huge audience due to the creepy and disturbing nature of its narratives. Each story in the series dealt with the secrets of the unknown, ranging from bone-chilling tales from the crypt, science fiction, and murder mysteries. Tonight, the story of a medium who can make the dead appear.
2: down shortly. Yes. Laura promised a special seance for Miss Keaton. Here at two.
3: Yes, and I can hardly wait. I've always been so curious about things like this, but I've never attended a seance
2: before. I assure you, Miss Keaton, you'll find it most fascinating. I've been watching Laura practice for almost five years. She makes more progress with every sitting. It's absolutely astounding what she can do. Uh, Isn't it, Winstead? Yes. Oh, yes. She really didn't know she had the power, you know, until about 1937. Remember Winstead, the the penthouse party gave the beastly thing. Do you remember? Yes, I remember very well. It was Quentin Ramsey. Oh, yes, that's who it was. Ramsay had a mystic oracle board, you know, Ouija. No one could get the thing to work until they coaxed Laura to sit down and have a try. And
3: she made the board work?
2: Oh, indeed she did, all over the place. (laughs) It was absolutely weird. She got messages from several of the guest friends who had passed on some time ago. People she'd never heard of until that night. How wonderful. She used the board for about a year and then found out she could get pencil messages. Pencil messages? Yes. She simply substituted the pencil for the little heart-shaped board with the eyeglass glass window. Her messages came in more rapidly that way, more complete, and this method was less tiring for her.
3: You mean... She actually contacts departed spirits that way?
2: I mean, she did. But she gave up the writing method two years ago. Uh, didn't she winced Yes, thank heavens. Every place I'd go, I'd find a paper simply covered with strange, scratching, harebrained, so-called messages. But look here, old fellow. Do I detect a shade of sarcasm in your voice? I dare say you do... Not a board with the whole thing. But why, Winstead? Simply because it's all a lot of... Well, go on. Oh, never mind. Oh, I wish you would come on downstairs and get this thing over with. But, Rika, I urge you not to waste your time with this foolishness. Foolishness? (laughs) Now, look here, Winstead. You can't talk about your wife's work like that.
3: No, darling, really. I'm absolutely fascinated by it all. I can't wait for Mrs. Winstead to come down. No, well,
2: she'll be down in a moment. I say, Winstead, really, I can't understand your attitude about Laura's work. Why, you used to enjoy watching her work immensely. Yes. I used to love her immensely. Why, I say, does that mean that you... Now, have... Mr. Rogers,
3: you said a moment ago that Mrs. Winstead doesn't communicate by means of pencil writing any longer.
2: Oh, why, why, no, she doesn't. <laughs> After about a year of it, she undertook a profound and comprehensive study of spiritualism and communication with those who have left this level. In her study, she learned that those departed ones can sometimes make contact with us through the use of a medium's voice. Uh, uh, Well, she began very slowly at first, lying relaxed on a couch, eyes closed, and eventually her contact began to use a Lord's own voice for their messages.
3: And... That's what she'll do for us tonight? That
2: and more. More? Oh, yes. You see, Miss Keaton, after Laura Winstead perfected her means of vocal communication with spirits, she continued her studies and experiments until she became able to bring about uh, materialization. You mean... I mean, uh, now we see the departed one with whom we commune.
3: Oh. Well, I really didn't expect that. I... Thought possibly a few table wrappings.
2: Oh, there'll be more than we're wrappings here at night, Miss Keaton.
3: Oh,
2: here's Laura now. Oh, Laura, dear.
3: Good evening. Or should I say good morning? It's after 2 a.m.
2: Yes, Laura. We've been waiting for you. Really, I think you could be more prompt.
3: Do you, Harvey? But perhaps you should hold the seances instead of me.
2: Now, Laura... There's really no reason for you to make a scene. No, <laughs> no, of course not. We're not here for a scene. It's for a seance. <laughs> uh, yes. Shall we begin, Laura?
4: Yes.
3: Harvey, if this is going to bore you, I suggest you go into the library until we've finished.
5: No.
6: I'll remain
3: here. Then I must ask you to assume the right attitude. You know we always have difficulty getting good contact whenever a disbeliever is present. Oh, I- I'm sure Mr. Winstead believes, don't you, Harvey?
2: I'd rather ask that same question of you, Frederica. We're finished here.
3: Oh, don't worry about me, Miss Winstead. I'm quite open-minded. I'm sure you are, dear. Now, if uh, we'll all gather around the table... Rogers... Will you turn off the lights, please? Oh, yes. Certainly.
6: There we are. Now we're
2: all. Oh, what's that? What's wrong? What happened? Oh, never mind, Laura. Federico, are you all right? Oh, yes. Yes, of course she is. I really missed my chair and bumped into hers. <laughs> so sorry, Miss Keaton.
3: Oh, I'm sorry, too. Please forgive me, but I, I was startled for a moment.
2: There now. We're all settled. It was entirely my fault, Miss Keaton. I'm terribly sorry. It's
3: quite all right, Mr. Rogers. Is everyone quite ready?
2: Yes, Laura. All ready. Shall we begin any time now, Harvey?
3: We will begin when an opportune time arrives. Let me tell you once again that if you are impatient, it will be best that you will leave us. Oh no, no, Harvey! Please don't go.
2: Don't worry. I have no intention of leaving.
3: You please all join hands. Roger, give me your hand. Miss Keaton, yours, please. Now, are you two clasp hands with Mr. Winstead? Yes, I I understand. Harvey, where's your hand?
2: Oh. Oh, there it is. All set, Laura.
3: Now, whatever happens, no one is to break the contact. Is that perfectly clear? No one. We will soon make communication with one from another level. Where will we see this, I must ask you to be very quiet, Miss Keaton. No one is to speak. And when the materialization takes place, please do not utter a sound unless it addresses you personally. We're gathered here commune with whomsoever wishes to contact us. We've gathered with open minds and with a unity of purpose. If there is someone who wishes to speak to us or any one of us, will he or she please make herself known? Is someone seeking contact? Please knock twice for no, thrice for yes. Do you have a message for someone present? For me? No. For someone else who is present here? Do you wish to speak through me? Do you wish to show yourself to us? Ah, very well. We will await your appearance now. When you are ready to speak through me, please begin.
5: It was my mother.
3: I know it was. Harvey, did you see her?
2: Yes, I saw her. Will you
3: turn up the lights, Roger?
2: Yes, of course.
3: Feeling all right, Laura? Yes, quite all right, thank you. Uh, Miss Keaton? Yes, I I suppose so. I, I don't know what to make of this. Wonderful.
2: I'd take it with a grain of salt, my dear, and try not to think too much about it.
3: Harvey, I'll not have you say such things. Miss Keaton, you've just seen and talked with your mother. You may do so again whenever you wish. In case there's the slightest doubt in your mind, I can assure you that it was your mother. Oh, yes, Yes, I'm sure it was, Mrs. Winston. And as I say it, it's so wonderful. Tell me, why haven't I heard of your ability to do this before now? Be- because, Miss Keaton, I permit no one to speak of it. I do not wish to become a public figure. I, I give sittings for my friends. I don't wish the world at large to know about my power, so I... I swear every newcomer to complete and absolute secrecy. I'm asking you for your assurance now. You mean you don't want me to speak of this to anyone? Yes, that's what I mean. You must promise to speak to no one of what you have seen here tonight. Very well, Mrs. Winston. I... As you wish, I shall expect you to keep that promise. Now, the fiance is ended. I shall
2: bid you all good night. Now, Laura, dear, won't you stay and talk for a while?
3: Thank you, no, I'm very tired, and it's almost three o'clock.
2: I'll see you to the stairs, then, and then I must be going. A Winston, old chap, I'll see you at the office tomorrow. Very well. Thank you, Rogers. Now, good night, Miss
3: Keaton. Good night, Mr. Rogers. Here's Winston. Good night, my dear. Please come back again when you can. Oh, thank you, I will.
2: Good night, Laura. I'll run Frederica home. I'll be long shortly
3: yes Harvey take your time
2: my dear <laughs>
3: now whatever made me say that I'm sure you will anyway good night Harvey she's suspicious
2: that I'm in love with you
3: how could she have found out I told her you
2: did yes I had a clean breast of it to her Told her it was no good she and I trying to continue to make a go of it. She refuses to give me a divorce. Oh. I'm really desperate, Frederica. I can't stand living with her another day. She. she's changed so. There's no love in her heart anymore, no warmth. She suddenly becomes such a different person. Bagging, sharp tongued, overbearing. Oh,
3: poor dear. You do need someone to look after you. She must neglect you terribly. She does.
2: I minded a lot at first. Believe me, Frederica, I was always in love with Laura. Now she's... She's so indifferent. Everything I try to do for
3: her. But why has she become so indifferent to you? I stopped trying to explain that months ago.
2: Harvey. You do love me, don't you, Frederica?
3: Oh, yes, dear. Of course I do. But we can't go on like this. With no solution in view.
2: There must be a solution. There must be some way.
3: But there is no way. No way except the one Laura denies us.
2: Just give me a little time, Frederica. It isn't hopeless yet. I promise you, Frederica, I'll find a way. I'll find a way somehow.
5: My darling.
3: Harvey, I'm still thinking about what Laura did here tonight. The apparition. The voice of my mother. Oh, nonsense, Frederica. Darling, what do you mean?
2: Here. I'll show you what I mean. Here, I, I want you to see this, Frederica.
3: Well, that's almost an exact image of my mother.
2: Nothing but a papier-mâché face, painted to resemble an old lady, an old gray shawl and some old-style spectacles. But how does it work?
3: How does she make it appear?
2: Easily. Look, up above there, an almost invisible wire strung across the room. Simply releases an electrically controlled lock on this cabinet behind a chair. Since the invisible wires placed at a single angle, the so-called spirit slips slowly out in front of those sitting at the table. Here.
3: embarrassed. The apparition was a trick, yes. But I assure you, my dear, the voice was not. Of course it was, Laura. You know it. Indeed? Harvey, my dear, there are many things between Earth and Heaven that none of us know. There are many things that you don't know. Yes, I have used tricks at our meetings. I admit that. But not everything that has happened here has been trickery.
2: You'll have to convince me, Laura.
3: Harvey, I have a feeling... A feeling that someday, somehow I will convince you. And that when I do, you'll never be able to scoff at me again. If there's anything to settle...
2: You haven't the right to hold me like this, Laura. You don't love me. Why don't you give me my freedom?
3: Simple, Harvey. Because no woman likes to see another take her place. And besides, it's so convenient being married to your income.
2: You're the most selfish, the most self-centered woman Mm -hmm. I've ever met.
4: Am I, darling?
2: it that you're well cared for financially.
3: No, Harvey. You're wasting your breath. I told you no yesterday. I say no again today. And I'll keep on saying no as long as I live.
2: As long as you
3: Along with me. We'll be back by noon. All right. Thank you so much. I, I would like to fresh air. come along, Frederica. I need some company, and besides, I want to have a little talk
6: with you. Frederica! How is Miss Keaton? She's uh, slightly improved, Mr. Winston. Thank heaven. But she's still in a very serious condition. She regained consciousness early this morning after a ten days coma. She seems to recognize people, but something is wrong with Miss Keaton's nerve centers. For one thing, she can't use her voice. An operation, perhaps? Yes, a very serious one. Require a well, quite an
2: expense. Oh, hang the expense. Get the best surgeon you know of. I'll pay all the bills, everything. Only Frederica Keaton must recover. I say, Winstead, do you really think that, that this girl will ever recover? the accident. She hasn't been able to speak one word to me. Now, look here, it's none of my affair, really, but I know things have been going very badly for you lately. Losing your wife and all. You need some money, old man. Oh, no, no. No, thanks. Thanks a lot, Rogers. My money's not completely gone. Yet.
6: Good news. Good news was... uh... Yes, doctor? The operation was a success. (laughs) Believe me, I... I never dreamed it would require three operations to make Miss Keaton able to speak again. She can talk? Yes. After almost six months of silence. Oh, that's splendid. When can I see your doctor? Why uh, now, if you wish. Here. Uh, this way. Just just a few minutes now. She's she's very weak. Yes.
5: Hello, Frederica. Harvey. Harvey, darling.
6: Oh, my darling, at last. Isn't
3: Isn't it wonderful, dear? Oh, my
6: dearest one, to hear your voice again. I...
3: I thought I'd never speak to you again.
2: You must forget all that, darling. Get well soon, please. Because just as soon as you're strong enough, we'll be married, dearest. Just as I've always... I told you we'd be.
3: You're always the fool, aren't you? Frederica. Frederica, darling. Oh, stop it. Stop it. You're so annoying, Harvey. Frederica. Whatever's come over you. You thought your problem was solved, didn't you? You thought sending me over the embankment to my death was the solution. I I don't understand. Look at me. Whom do you see? Frederica Keaton. Yes, of course you do. But whose voice do you hear? Laura. You've been so stupid, Harvey, you hadn't even noticed. It It can't be. Are you a believer
5: now? Laura. My wife. (laughs)
2: original tale of dark fantasy by Scott Bishop. Georgiana Cook was heard tonight as Laura Winstead. Then Morris was Harvey Winstead. Eleanor Naylor Corrin played Frederica Keaton. Muir Hype was Rogers. And Fred Wayne was the doctor. Next Friday night at this same time, listen to the 15th unusual tale in this series of dark fantasy. Spawn of the Subhuman in which the nation's favorite soprano star makes an aeroplane flight to an incredible destiny that awaits her at the hands of a strange and mysterious madman. Tom Paxton speaking. Dark Fantasy comes to you from WKY, Oklahoma City. This is the National Broadcasting Company.
1: Stay tuned for Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Lucille Ball in My Favorite Husband and the episode, Liz Gets Her Portrait Painted.
7: We present My Favorite Husband, a new series based on Isabel Scott Rorick's gay, sophisticated Mr. and Mrs. Cougar, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. Ten years ago, the town's most eligible bachelor, George Cougat, married socially prominent Elizabeth Elliot. The lavish wedding kept the society columns all over the country in copy for weeks. The New Yorker said, Bride and groom were dressed to the nth degree of smartness. Best man was a polo pony. <laughs> the Hearst Papers said,
8: The bride and groom were dressed handsomely in attracted comment from guest Douglas MacArthur.
7: And the Reader's Digest said, the bride and groom were dressed. (laughs) Well, after the honeymoon, George sold his polo pony, bought a stylish suburban home, took the first job that came along, fifth vice president of a bank. And now the Cougats are just George and Liz, two people who live together and like it. George says... When I married Liz, she
9: didn't know a thing about keeping house. She couldn't cook, she couldn't sew, she couldn't clean. But later, she overcame this lack of domesticity in a most ingenious manner. Liz says,
8: I got a maid.
7: (laughs) And now, let's take a peek at the Cougars. It's early morning, and there's husband George at the breakfast table. But where's wife, Liz? Oh, there she is, upstairs in the bedroom with Katie, the maid. Well, this is certainly unusual. Liz is getting into a formal evening gown. Let me check again. It's only five minutes after nine. Well, surely there's a reason for wearing an evening gown at this early hour.
8: Oh, just a little more, Katie. Can you get the zipper up now? Yes, ma'am. The zipper's up. Oh, how does it look, Katie? Would you consider it too slinky? There's hardly enough of it to tell (laughs) If you'll pardon me, Mrs. Cougott, I've seen more cloth on a rope for (laughs) cheese It isn't as skimpy as all that Now, where's my corsage? Oh, here it is, ma'am I'll just pin it on here No, uh, maybe here Oh, what's wrong, Mrs. Cougott? There's no place to pin it (laughs) I'll get you a gown that has a little more to it, Mrs. Cougott. Uh, but then... Then what, Kitty? You are having your portrait painted today, aren't you? Yes. Well, then maybe you'd better wear the gown you have on. Why? Well, as long as you're paying for a portrait, you might as well have as much of you in the picture as possible. (laughs) No, Katie, we might move to Boston someday, and I wouldn't want my portrait banned. Oh, here's a more sensible gown, ma'am. Uh, have you told Mr. Cougard about the painter coming today? Not yet, Katie. I'll tell him at breakfast. Now hurry and get me out of this tight thing. I feel like a ten-inch weenie in a five-inch roll. Good morning, George, darling.
9: Good morning, Liz. You're looking very...
8: George, what's wrong?
9: That evening gown...
8: Well, you've seen me wearing an evening gown before.
9: Well, I've seen you wearing galoshes, too, but
8: not at breakfast. (laughs) Of course not. It never rains under the table. (laughs) (laughs) Darling, the reason I'm wearing this gown is because I'm going to have my portrait painted. The artist is coming this morning.
9: Having your portrait painted?
8: Mm Mm-hmm. What in the world for? Well, Alice Sturm had herself sketched, so...
9: Alice Sturm, I might have known. The old story of keeping up with the Joneses.
8: It's nothing like that, George. This is entirely different. This is keeping up with the Sturmses.
9: (laughs) Darling, when Alice Sturm gave a party for an opera star, we had to give one for the Hall Johnson Choir. When Alice goes to Catalina, we have to go to Hawaii. Uh, Believe me, the day Alice Sturm has quintuplets, I want to be in Mexico. (laughs) What about me? (laughs) And just where is this masterpiece going to be painted?
8: Right here, and by a very good artist, too. His name is Damon Welch. He'll be here in a little while.
9: I get a kick out of those artist characters. I can hardly wait to see him. He'll probably be wearing a pink beret and have a rose clenched between his teeth. Long artistic fingers hanging down and sticking in the tops of his shoes. (laughs) No.
8: I heard Damon Welch is different from other artists, George. They say he's very big and strong and muscular, like um who's that rugged, tall actor in the movies? You know, the one with the big arms and broad shoulders.
9: Marjorie Maine.
8: <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, Victor Mature.
9: Oh, well, don't be silly, Liz. Artists are all the same. They wear berets, live in attics, and smell of spiders. Hello,
7: George. Liz. Oh, it's Corey.
8: Come on up, Cory.
7: Cartwright, dear, bachelor deluxe, damsel delight. The kind of man you'd like to marry your sister.
8: If you hated your sister.
9: (laughs) How are you this morning, party boy? No party last night, George, but did I meet a beautiful creature. She had a smile like Lana Turner, a voice like Dinah Shore, and she kissed like Paulette Goddard.
8: What do you do, date her or buy tickets to her? (laughs)
9: Don't speak lightly of this woman, Liz, for I think that at last, Cory Cartwright is in love. You, Corey? Yes, George. I feel that this is the real thing. I think I shall marry this girl.
8: Corey, that's wonderful. What's her name? Where does she live?
9: Darn, I knew I forgot something. (laughs) Hey, Liz, I just noticed you're wearing an evening gown.
8: Yes, do you like it?
9: It's nice, but isn't this awfully late to be getting home? Oh, Liz is having her portrait painted, Corey. Some artist named Damon Welch is coming over this morning. Damon Welch?
8: You heard of him, Corey?
9: Heard of him? That's all Alice Sturm talks about since he sketched her. I hear he has big blue eyes, curly hair, muscles galore, a tan complexion, and stands about 12 feet tall. <laughs> oh, really now, Corey, 12 feet tall? Maybe it is a slight exaggeration, but I understand that before he painted portraits, he used to paint rooftops. Without a letter. (laughs) Well, anybody could do that if they had a long brush.
8: Or or a short house.
9: (laughs) Well, what do I care what he's like? Excuse me, I have to make a phone call.
8: Who are you calling this early, darling?
9: The time operator. My watch has been acting up again.
8: Well, maybe Corey has the right time.
9: No, I left my watch home on my other wrist.
10: (laughs) At the tone, the
9: time will be 9.42 and one quarter. Hmm, 9.42. Have to be getting down to the bank. Right with you, George. I have a luncheon date with a girl who was a gorgeous blonde yesterday, and I'm anxious to find out what she is today.
8: Kiss me goodbye, George. Your kisses give me strength for the day.
9: When Corey Cartwright kisses them, they stay charged up for a month. Bye, darling. Bye-bye, Liz. Bye. Are you really going to the bank today, George, or are you just faking? Huh? What are you talking about? With that Damon Welch coming to your house today, I figured maybe you're going to sneak out and hide in the garage. Oh, I'd forgotten all about it. Doesn't worry me in the least. It would, if you heard what Howie Sturm calls that artist. Why, what is he calling? A weasel with an easel. <laughs> Come on, get in the car, Corey. Hey, don't start the motor yet, George. The artist just pulled up in your driveway... Maybe we can get a look at him. Good. (laughs) I'm still betting he has a rose between his teeth. Uh, He's getting out of his car. Holy mackerel, George. He looks like the Empire State Building with a turtleneck sweater. (laughs) Oh, he's not so much. I bet he pads that sweater with cotton. If he does, he must have the whole plantation and Uncle Tom's cabin under there. (laughs) Look at those shoulders, George, and that chest. Cory, it doesn't take much to have broad shoulders and a big chest. All you need are muscles. Let's go. Did you see that thick neck, George? Those pretty blue eyes? Uh, so what? My neck isn't as thick, maybe, but I have a nice neck. And look at my Adam's apple, Corey. <laughs> Oh, That guy didn't have anywhere near the Adam's apple I have. Oh, if there's anything that'll keep a home together, it's a big Adam's apple. And as far as his blue eyes are concerned, my eyes are blue, too. Look at my eyes, Corey. See the pretty blue? It's kind of hard to see the blue right now, George. Your face is so green.
11: <laughs> All right, woman, face to the left. I cannot paint your portrait unless you cooperate.
8: Mr. Welch, I've told you a dozen times my name is Elizabeth Cougar, not woman.
11: Very well, Mrs. Cougar. Now be quiet, woman. <laughs>
8: well, one consolation. At least you know what I am.
11: Your dress gives you away. <laughs> I don't like your nose. I shall not paint it that way.
8: But I like my nose. It's a good nose. Don't change it. I've had it so long now, it seems like almost a part of me. Be
11: still, woman.
8: You're very rough, Mr. Welch.
11: Woman, you're looking at a man who's painted the forests of Oregon and at the same time worked as a lumberjack. Sawing, climbing, cutting and chopping. One day, the man next to me was crushed by a falling redwood. I've seen many rough things. This is a man's world. That's why I'm rough.
8: Did, did it kill him, the, the man the tree fell on?
11: To coin a quaint old phrase, he was a real gone lumberjack.
8: <laughs> you know, Mr. Welch, you and my husband have a lot in common. He lives a rugged life, too.
11: What does your husband do?
8: He's a banker.
11: Oh. Well, that is rugged.
8: It's plenty rugged. He goes to work every morning at ten and doesn't get home until after three.
11: Just what's rugged about that?
8: He has an uncomfortable office. (laughs) Liz?
9: Liz, are you here?
8: You're home early, darling.
9: Hi, honey. Uh, how's the portrait coming? All finished, huh?
8: (laughs) Oh, no. Damon will be back tomorrow.
9: Damon? You call him Damon?
8: Yes, now. He was terribly cold at first, but he warmed up.
9: (laughs) How warm did he get?
8: Oh, George... I've just got to tell you all about him. You wouldn't believe that just an artist could have lived so much.
9: Too bad he lived so long.
8: <laughs> What'd you say, dear?
9: Uh, I, I, I said uh, too bad he had to run along.
8: You know, men certainly are misleading. Take Damon, for instance. There he is, an artist, but he's worked in the Oregon forest. And believe it or not, he's chopped down giant redwood trees. Well,
9: I cut down the tree in the yard, the one that made the lawn so unsightly.
8: That wasn't a tree, dear. That was a laundry pole. <laughs>
9: Well, it was a tree once.
8: Did you notice, Damon, when you were leaving this morning, he came in right after you'd left with Corey?
9: Mm, Yes, I think I did. He was struggling to get his car door open. Didn't seem to have much strength. A tall, unhealthy-looking chap, as I recall. A
8: padded sweater. Damon? Oh, George, I don't think so. He's huge with big muscles and a terrific tan.
9: Yes, Liz, but I'm sure that under that tan, there's a naturally pale face. (laughs) Oh, nothing. Say, look at this. My old photograph album. Look here. This picture of me at the beach. <laughs> you notice the
8: muscles? Oh, yes. That was the day you and Jimmy Paterno and Howie Sturm and the whole gang made the human pyramids. Yeah. It takes a lot of strength to support all those men.
9: Yes, it does. Look at my muscles.
8: Oh, there you are, right on top.
9: Oh, <laughs> uh, it uh, takes a lot of strength to stay on top. There was quite a breeze that day.
8: Here... <laughs> Here's a picture I like. You and me in a rowboat at Simmons Park. Look, your sleeves are rolled up. Say, your arms were pretty big. Of course. (laughs) Of course. I can't remember why I was rowing. (laughs) Well,
9: I was saving my strength for the potato race. Are you sure you love me, Liz?
8: Oh, silly. Of course I love you. Why shouldn't I love you? Kiss me.
9: Feel those strong arms around you? Mm Mm-hmm. I'm plenty strong, Liz Way back in kindergarten, I used to beat up all the little kids
8: I'll, I'll just bet you still could <laughs> Kiss me again, sweetheart
9: Liz, are you positive you love me? I'm the only one, nobody else
8: Oh, don't talk such nonsense Just hug me tighter Make believe I'm a tube of toothpaste and pop my cap off
9: I feel great now
8: Oh, George, you know, I was thinking today You don't have any hobbies I believe I know of an interesting one for you No hobbies?
9: I have my bird collection Six darlings and a dicky bird (laughs) What did you have in mind?
8: Why don't you take up painting as a hobby?
9: Painting? Oh, Liz, I'm going to bed
8: Going to bed? Don't you want your dinner?
9: I won't need any dinner I'll just go upstairs, pull the covers over my head And eat my heart out
7: You are listening to My Favorite Husband, starring Lucille Ball with Richard Denning. This is the story of my favorite husband, George Cougat, and his favorite wife, Liz, who, like most married couples, alternate in making each other first happy and then miserable. Well, at the moment, Liz is in the middle of having a portrait painted by the handsome and virile artist Damon Welsh. This makes Liz quite happy and George quite miserable. Now George thinks this is quite wrong, and chances are he's quite right. And so he's decided it's quite time he did something about it. It's the next morning. Quite.
8: George, darling, you aren't eating your breakfast.
7: Oh, I'm not
9: very hungry, Liz. didn't sleep last night. I'm going to stay home today.
8: Stay home? George, are you ill?
9: Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I'm sick. Awfully sick. What's wrong? Oh, I, I, I don't know, Liz. Maybe it's it's painter's colic. Painter's colic? That is, the, the inside of my mouth feels like a brush.
8: <laughs> I'd better call Dr. Buell.
9: What do I want with a doctor?
8: Well, you just said you were sick.
9: Oh, yeah. Uh, call a doctor.
8: Oh, it's Damon. Katie! I saw him coming, Mrs. Cougar. Oh, good morning, Mr. Wells
11: (laughs) Good morning, woman Step aside and let genius enter
9: I wish he'd slammed the door on his genius (laughs) Good morning, woman
8: Good morning, Damon This is my husband, George
9: You may just call me man
8: (laughs) George isn't feeling well, Damon I'm going to call the doctor
11: What's wrong with him? He looks well enough Trouble with you, Cougar, is that soft, decadent living has finally caught up with you. You should get out of doors, do some exercises. Run the mile, do some chin-ups, push-ups, chop some wood, mow
9: the lawn, pull some weights.
8: Soak that barge, lift that bale. Oh. <laughs>
9: Please call the doctor now, I'm worn out.
0: All
9: right, George, let me have a look down your throat. Certainly, Dr. Buell. Ah, uh, hmm, dark down there.
11: <laughs> uh, uh,
9: don't swallow, George. This is my best flashlight.
4: <laughs> uh,
9: there's nothing wrong there. Exactly what seems to be the trouble, George? Well, Doctor, it's... Uh, I feel kind of things. First it, it starts, then it stops, then it goes again, then it backs up... and then it twists completely around. Uh, what does it sound like to you? A woman driver. <laughs> Come on now, George. Tell me what's wrong. Well, Doctor, you see, Liz is having her portrait painted by some artist who, who has muscles so big they, they get up and walk around. And I just... Oh, I believe I can diagnose your case now, George. Acute jealousy-itis. Is, is that anything like borderline anemia? <laughs> Jealousy-itis is serious only if it isn't checked early. Fortunately, I believe I have with me the very thing you need to snap you out of it. <clears throat> Miss McCarthy, I just happen to have my nurse with me. Nurse? I don't need a nurse.
10: Yes, Doctor?
9: Marianne, this is Mr. Cougart, our newest patient. I tell you, I don't need... it. A... Oh, how do you do? <laughs> uh, forgive me for not standing up in bed, but I only have on the pajama tops. <laughs>
10: Enough to require a nurse doctor Well, he said he
9: wasn't Uh, What about it, George? Oh, I ain't long for this world
11: (laughs) Sit still, woman I cannot paint your portrait unless you relax I don't make moving pictures, you know
8: Well, when are you going to paint in my hair? You still have me bald-headed I don't like myself bald-headed I look like my mother was frightened by Guy Kibby.
11: I'll paint in your hair when I see fit woman and not a second sooner. Until that time, you'll remain an egghead and like it.
8: Damon, do you ever smile?
11: I laugh sometimes. My sense of humor is a bit unusual, however, not on the beaten path.
8: Well, what's funny to you?
11: Well, I laughed heartily when my friend Chadwick fell from the roof of the school in Paris.
8: Did Chadwick see the humorous?
11: Oh, he screamed. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I'll never forget it. Fractured half the bones in his body.
8: (laughs) Yes, he must have been all broken up. (laughs)
9: Miss McCarthy, did you hear that? My wife and the painter were laughing down there in the study. What could they have been laughing at?
10: Do you have a steamboat in the house, Mr. Kuga?
9: A steamboat? Well, of course not.
10: Well, then they couldn't be laughing at Fulton.
9: Oh, I'm serious, Miss McCarthy. I don't like them to be laughing. I'm going downstairs. Hello?
8: Hello, darling. What are you doing out of bed?
9: I, uh... Well, I heard some laughing. Uh, what was all the laughing about?
8: Oh, Damon was telling jokes.
9: Oh, how nice. Mind if I stay a while? I know one person who objects.
11: I cannot paint with an audience.
9: What a horrible painting.
8: George!
11: Oh, no, let him criticize. All genius must be criticized. But I still do not want him around. Out! Take your linted bathrobe with you.
8: <laughs>
9: well, as long as you're busy, I'll go back upstairs.
8: Goodbye, darling.
9: Well, Goodbye. Yes, goodbye. Nice trip. Be sure
11: and write us.
8: Oh, Damon, you know something? I think my husband came downstairs because he's jealous.
11: (gasps) Jealous? Jealousy is stupidity. Yes, I guess he could be jealous.
8: Well, I'm glad he's jealous. (laughs) Oh, it makes me feel that I'm wanted.
11: You are. I want you to sit still. Are you, uh... You never get jealous of Mr. Cougart, do you? I mean, the fact that he's upstairs right now with that attractive nurse. Uh, That doesn't faze you in the least.
8: Of course not. Good old faithful George. (laughs) What was that? What? Damon, that was George and that nurse.
11: Oh, so? You aren't worried about good old faithful George, are you?
8: Certainly not. I'll be right back. Where are you going? i got to see a man about a nurse. (laughs) Hello. May I come in? Yes,
10: Mrs. Pugat, but you mustn't stay long. I have a naughty boy on my hands, and I don't want him to get excited.
8: (laughs) That's why I came up. How are you, George?
9: Oh, it's awful. I just had a relapse. I accidentally plugged my electric heating pad into the radio and H.V. Kaltenborn got in bed with me.
8: He's delirious. Yes. You better go, Mrs. Cougott. Yes, I'll, uh... Goodbye, George. Miss McCarthy, uh, wouldn't you like to come downstairs and boil a few thermometers or something? <laughs> I'll be right here with Mr. Cougott. Well, bye, George.
10: He's gone now, Mr. Cougott. Why were you playing sick?
9: Because I wanted sympathy. Lots of sympathy. (laughs) You know something, McCarthy? I think Liz came up only because she was jealous. She must have heard us laughing. You know what that means?
10: My capacity of a registered nurse, I'd say she has clean ears.
9: (laughs) It means she loves me and worries about me.
10: She's jealous. (laughs) Then you need have no further worry over the painter.
9: None whatever. He'll be laughing again soon, but I won't worry about it. I wonder why they aren't laughing. (laughs) McCarthy, they're not laughing.
10: Doesn't that please you, Mr. Cougar?
9: No, they should be laughing.
10: Where do you think you're going?
9: I'm going down there and find out why there's a darn quiet. Where is he? I'll break him in half.
8: He's gone, George.
9: Gone? Gone? He's not here
8: anymore. I had to get rid of him, darling.
9: Why did you have to get rid of him?
8: Because I knew that if he left, you'd stop playing sick, and then Miss McCarthy could get the heck out of here.
9: (laughs) Oh, were you a little uh, jealous of Miss McCarthy? Of
8: course not. But I know you were jealous of Damon.
9: That's ridiculous,
8: George. Yes, Liz. Who do we think we're kidding?
9: So he uh, left, huh, George? Yes, Cory, he left.
8: And George was really very nice to him. How
9: lucky you were, George. Suppose, instead of going quietly, the man with the big muscles had gotten tough with you. Oh, Cory, you're just trying to stir me up. No, seriously. What would you have done if the painter had wanted to fight? Oh, I, I'm sorry, George. I shouldn't embarrass you this way in front of Liz.
8: If Damon had wanted to fight, George would have fought, wouldn't you, darling? Wouldn't you, George? Why, certainly.
9: If I had his phone number, I'd call him up right now and tell him a thing or two.
8: Oh, I have his phone number, dear. Here.
9: Oh. Well, thanks. When Damon answers the phone, I'll catch you, George. Hello, Damon. This is George Cougat. I've changed my mind about being nice to you. If you want to fight, just come over here whenever you feel like getting knocked for a loop. You got anything to
8: say to that?
10: At the tone, the time will be 9.27 and one quarter.
8: Well. George Cougat, kiss me. Kiss me this very instant.
9: Why right now?
8: Because you've got your dander up and you're just dandy with your dander up.
7: In just a moment, Lucille Ball and Richard Denning will be back with us.
8: George, are you asleep?
9: <sighs> no, darling. I'm not asleep.
8: Do you love me, baby?
9: Yes, I love you. <laughs> How much? Lots.
8: Well, in terms of pounds, how much do you love me? (laughs) Three pounds? Six pounds? Seven pounds?
9: Twelve tons. (laughs)
8: Oh, I love you a hundred tons.
9: Now, you have a bigger truck.
10: (laughs) George.
8: No matter what happens, will you still love me, even when I'm old?
9: I'll still love you when you're old.
8: Will you take me out?
9: Yes, dear. I'll wheel you around the block every day.
8: (laughs) (laughs) George, something strange happened to Katie tonight.
9: Really? What was that?
8: Well, tonight around 9.27... Katie picked up the phone extension in the kitchen and heard a man shouting at the time operator. Good night, George.
1: Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week for more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support